Before we get started today, I have a listener to thank for a donation. Phyllis Lash sent us a donation via PayPal. Uh, If you missed the interview with Phyllis, it was episode 160, and it's a fantastic episode. She talks a lot about doing collaborations with other artists, and it's really worth listening to. So go back and listen to episode 160 when you get a chance, if you haven't listened to that yet. And thanks again to Phyllis for doing that interview and sending us a donation as well. We really appreciate your support of the show. If you would like to donate to the Messy Studio Podcast, just go to www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. It's a yellow button in the upper right hand corner that says donate, and there you can set up a single time donation or a recurring monthly donation for literally any amount. So that's www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. And we will, of course, thank you live on the show. I also want to mention again that I'm collecting testimonials for my website, so if you've enjoyed the audio production quality on the Messy Studio Podcast and listening to my voice, please go to MessyStudioPodcast.com and submit the contact form with your testimonial. I know what you're thinking. Ross probably got a whole pile of these last week. Honestly, I didn't get a single one. So if you have just a couple minutes, it would really mean a lot to me. All right, that's all for now. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about abstraction and your inner child. We all drew, painted, and made things out of Play-Doh and construction paper as little children in spontaneous and unselfconscious ways. Some of us retain those memories, and we may also have children or grandchildren whose artwork we love. The art of children affords an intriguing view into a very different way of seeing and thinking than we have as adults, and many abstract artists have found it a source of inspiration. Today we look at some special qualities of child art and how it may feed our abstracted ideas. With me as always is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. So this episode is a bit of a follow-up to last week when we talked about um, using symbolism in abstract art. And in that episode, we mentioned child art kind of briefly, and I thought it would make an interesting episode of its own. Um, So many contemporary artists love kids' art and find it intriguing, and especially that Art from early years, um, preschool, you know, up to five or six years old or whatever, before there's been very much of any, um, well, you know, interference from adults saying, uh, this is how things should look. This is how you draw uh, this or that. But that really early stuff um, where it's pretty unfiltered is <laughs> really interesting. Um And I do want to say that uh, at least some of that charm that we find in child art comes from the fact that, you know, kids don't really have a lot of motor control. And so there is this this lack of control just in the way that things are put down, which is kind of intriguing. But, you know, also because they don't understand things like perspective in the way that we do. So um, it's interesting looking at it from with that kind of purity, you know, that kind of um, uh, unfiltered channel between 
their own thoughts and ideas and what's coming out on the paper. Well, it is very gestural and it's also uh, almost entirely symbol based, which is something that we talked about last week. Yeah, and that's that's the connection I really want to talk about because it's fascinating. But um, it's really, you know, I think we, we, we like kid art in a way because it's sort of like watching um, the way children learn how to um, walk or get food into their mouths or something. It's like, we kind of know where it's heading in the end. Um, and there's a stage that's just sort of charming while they're trying to figure it out. But as adults, we are looking at, well, where are they heading in the end? Kind of, well, when will they, at some point, they're going to start drawing a person that looks like a person. But to value that stage where that's not important to the child is really interesting. I mean, I think it opens a window to a different way of thinking about art and depiction of ideas and objects that is refreshing. And um, it just, I don't know. I always really, you know, loved what what you and Ben did as kids, saved a lot of it. You know, I still think I still have boxes of it somewhere, <laughs> probably to your embarrassment. But um, but it, it really, I used to just absolutely love watching and gave you guys those kind of big crayons as soon as you could hold them. And, and even just watching scribbling and whatnot, I, I just found it fascinating. Um, and that, that really early stage when the kids are just scribbling, they're just making marks because it's kind of a power. They realize, oh, I can hold this thing in my hand and I can move my hand and look what happens, you know? <laughs> I mean, that fascination, which we can still feel as adults, that connection of, you know, the brush or the pencil or whatever it is that you're holding and what you're creating, what's coming out of it is that kind of lasts a lifetime, I think. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the first way that we make change in our world, you know, that isn't. Um, as we're growing, usually it's uh, your parents are giving you things. You know, they're giving you uh, some Cheerios to eat or something like that. But you have no real control over your environment, and it's the first way that you can change your world. Uh, it's also the first way that you can express yourself. Mm -hmm. um, most of the time, kids start drawing before they start uh, writing, certainly, but even talking. Right. Yep. They can they can scribble before they can really say sentences a lot of times. Um, and I don't know if people think of giving really little children crayons and stuff, but it is, uh, you can, and there, there are perfectly safe materials for, for really young children. And if you're kind of keeping an eye on things, it's going to be fine. Uh, but yeah, you're right. That power that, uh, I am making my mark <laughs> and, and that is uh, a universal feeling and it's one that we do carry forward. Um, and, that, and, you know, kids do grow out of that, of course, that stage where they're simply making marks. And um, it's, I think they say around age three or so, there's a, um, a, even earlier, depending on the kid, there's an effort to connect um, what they're thinking to what they're drawing. And it kind of goes along with verbal development. You know, the more that kids can think and put ideas together, um, there is a connection to what they're going uh, to draw. 
Um, what, but one article I read about this was really kind of interesting. It said even at that scribble stage where they probably don't have uh, the motor control to do anything different, even at that age, a kid might, say, push a, a truck across the floor and if they're crawling, you know, and, okay, I'm moving this thing across the floor. And it's kind of related to that idea of moving moving the crayon, you know, this kind of pushing and moving and manipulating. And then thoughts start to kick in um, at that, let's say, three, four, two, three, four age at different levels. Um but with whatever range of you know motor control they have, and it of course it progresses as they get older. But there's this wonderful way of using symbols and uh, depicting things in these really conceptual ways. I mean, it's all kind of about ideas, really, and um, the ad- the logic of adults, <laughs> the linear thinking of adults. The critical voice of adults um, oftentimes isn't really a factor at that stage. I mean, it shouldn't be. Um, so, but as adults, as adult artists, it's really it's very hard for us to connect back to that. Um, you know, we we just you know we've lived a long time on the planet. We've got an awful lot of things in our head that are logical and linear, um, and. Something about the way that kids approach art, it, I think that's what's very refreshing about it. Um, they they don't have all that baggage, and yet their expression has meaning and it has um, a reality to them. Um, it's sort of unhindered creativity, uh, and what we as adults we kind of call it the flow state. You know, when we're we're working, um, say, on a, a painting that's. Um, developing beneath our eyes i mean we're we're responding to what's going on and you are in that that state of i am making these marks i'm just responding to them obviously as adults we see saw right back into the critical voice is it working you know and we have to do that that's part of our role um you know as mature artists we obviously know a lot of stuff that helps us understand what we're doing and and helps us you know develop it at depth and all that um but uh i wanted to yeah i just wanted to kind of go into a little bit about what kids do know what is their logic um yeah and what can be brought into that work as an adult right their logic is very intuitive it's very connected with their lives um and what you know the first thing i thought of was well Little kids, their world is all about play, and that the play is the way they discover, right? So, so they're really playing with art materials. Um, as we said, they're feeling that power um, in basic creative output. Uh, what happens, you know, when you pick up a crayon, when you when you get your fingers into the finger paint, and in a lot of ways, to me, it seems similar to the way they enter creative play with toys, you know. Um, this pretend world of, um, you know, little vehicles or dolls or ani- stuffed animals or whatever it is, engaging with these objects um, in their own inventive ways. They're in charge. They're making things up. And so this kind of all a part of that same um, involvement that 
yeah, very hard for adults to remember what that's like. And, and so often when working with students or people just getting started in art, we do encourage this kind of play for its own sake and play to see what happens when you do this or that. And it, it's actually a pretty um, difficult thing for adults to engage in sometimes. We're always thinking about, oh, well, is it any good? Or, you know, where's it heading? Or <laughs> whatever. But those times when we do just do that, and, and for me it often happens with some some material I haven't worked with before. Uh, it's kind of, you know, part of that addiction to buying new art supplies. <laughs> but you get something new and you say, oh, hey, I'm just going to play around here and see what happens. Um, and so I'm not saying you always have to buy new art supplies to do that, but sometimes it's a little push that you need. Well, and sometimes you just need to experiment with something new just to just to get out of your your routine, to, to kind of break your process up a little bit so that yes. things feel fresh again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for kids, because the whole world is new, that's not a problem. Right. Yeah, that's that's what they live in. Is, <laughs> that's that what state. they live in, and and parents, of course, are always uh, concerned with um, providing them with new experiences. Really, I mean, you know, you give kids new toys, you get them a different book to read, or whatever it is. You're always sort of trying to open up the world for them. Right. I think there is a sense often in the way that we interact with children, though, where we want to push them towards things that we view as useful. Yes, um, <laughs> they may but, not. <laughs> yeah. And, and because the world is a changing place, whatever your kids are into, uh, you have no idea what, how useful that's going to be in 10 years or 15 years. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's very hard to predict. We, we have a tendency as, an, as adults to to think of, well, what what should have I been doing you know, at age three or four or 10 or 12 or, or yeah. whatever age in order to, to have a, a, a leg up in the future. Yeah. Um, and it's <laughs> what, what was, you know, that if that was the case 20 or 30 years ago or 50 years ago, that's, that's not the case now. So whatever it is that the kids are doing, it's, it's very hard to predict how the skills that they're, that they're gaining in play are going to affect their lives in the future. Yeah. And, and I, there's a lot about respecting that kids are self-directed in their art and other things um, so that as parents or grandparents kind of um, helping them do what they want to do as long as it's constructive and they're into it is a good thing. Um, and as you say, trying to push people into things they don't really want to do isn't good at any age, really. But there's a, you know, the the classic story about giving a kid a, you know, some great educational toy that comes in a box and the kid just wants to play with the box. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so true. Um, I remember this fascination you guys had with things like sticks and string and, you know, <laughs> these things that were very, very... Uh, available and open-ended and and that you could children invest so much with their imagination and their artwork and with everything they pick up and play with and as adults we really can't it's so hard to enter that state of mind we've lost it for the most part and so that i think that's what what um it's so intriguing about watching kids just do stuff with things you know that <laughs> um is i, I I was always amazed that when 
say the toys were a big mess on the floor and all these little parts and pieces. And of course, as an adult, the impulse is pick everything up and organize it, put it away. And and you guys are there like picking up a little Lego man and then a piece of, you know, Tinker Toy or something and then doing something with that and just mixing it all up and, just, you know, creating this other world that the adult mind would be, oh, no, that's a Tinker Toy. Put that in the Tinker Toy box, you know. <laughs> I think I resisted that pretty well, but it's, it you know, adults want to organize things. They want things in categories and they want, you know clear definitions and delineations and kids do have this kind of um often a free-flowing associations that do come out in their in their work um their artwork and there's a sense i think that kids have they know what's important to them they know what's important to them in the moment um and so when they're working with art materials they're working with what they know not what they see, which is more the adult um, version of what art is, <laughs> you know, the, the tree looks like this. Um, but to the child, it may be more of how they experience the tree or the other person or whatever it is. And so that really influences the kind of stuff that they draw or paint. Um, it's influenced by what they're interested in and how they perceive that. And you see that especially um, in the way they draw, <clears throat> excuse me, the way they tend to draw figures or groups of figures. Um, so within a figure, say, they might draw the head very large in relation to the body. Um, not that they couldn't potentially draw things in proportion, but the head is what seems important. That's where the face is. You know, that's what they look at. Um, that's where thoughts are. Real quick, it's time for an update on the latest news from Cold Wax Academy. Rebecca and her partner, Jerry McLaughlin, are now well into their second quarter of weekly live sessions for their members, in which they explore three-minute topics in deep, interrelated, and engaging ways. This quarter, those topics are texture, layering, and writing and talking about your work. Weekly sessions include discussion, side presentations, videos, critiques, special guests, and the opportunity to ask questions during the session. Cold Wax Academy members have access to all past sessions, which are recorded each week. So if you're hesitating to join mid-quarter, no worries about missing out. There is plenty for you to explore, and you can watch previous sessions on your own schedule. Jerry and Rebecca offer a trial month at the core level for only $29.99. So visit coldwaxacademy.com and click on memberships for more information. That's coldwaxacademy.com and click on memberships. All right, let's get back into it. Okay, so so basically children express, uh, these are, you know, again, early age kids, express um, things like figures, animals, uh, scenery, in terms of their ideas. That, so in that way, it's symbolic drawing. And even kids that are old enough to be quote unquote able to draw things more realistically um, may not prefer to because it's not um, as expressive to them. And one of the articles I read that there was a interview with a little girl and she said she was drawing these sort of tadpole like people, but the the interview the interviewer knew she also knew how to draw 
a more correct, you know, proportional image of a person. I said, why are you drawing these, um, th- these sort of blobby things for people? <laughs> she, she just said, well, you know, that's the way I want to draw them right now. Like that's, that's what they're, that's what suits me at the moment, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, we make assumptions as adults say, can't do this or that. And, and maybe they can, but they don't want to, you know? Um, a lot of child art is really narrative. And that's another thing kids just know that's intuitive for them. They like stories. Yeah, they're always telling stories. They love stories. They love to be read stories. They love to make them up. And so a lot of um, times there's this unfolding narrative to what they're doing. Um, it's kind of like they're mapping out on the paper some sort of story. And it's not necessarily linear it's sort of like it's unfolding and so they might the kid might draw um some image that to them represents their mother and then they might in their thing they're thinking of oh well now she's going to drive the car someplace so somewhere on the paper they draw a little car and then maybe they draw somewhere else something that represents a road or you know a mountain where they're going or something you know (laughs) and it's uh, it may look like not much to an adult who looks at it, but it's so interesting to ask children about, instead of saying, well, what's that supposed to be? Say, well, tell me about this, or, you know, is there, what's the story? And, and then they, they tell you some story. And the story is also very flexible because the next time the same picture, they might tell you a different story. <laughs> so it's just like wonderful, uh, fluidity that, there's some kind of inner narrative going on there, but um, but it's meaningful. It's really meaningful to the kid. And that's, again, that's the connection that we kind of seek as adults, right, is whatever we're putting down there, and this might particularly apply to abstraction, um, it's meaningful. We want it to be meaningful. It doesn't have to make logical sense to the viewer, but it has to make sense to us in some way. Um, and maybe there's a narrative, maybe there's a story we tell ourselves, or maybe it's just symbolic objects. Um, but the idea that we could put different things in different parts of a painting that are somehow connected to an inner meaning is, is interesting to me because I think as adults, we sort of think we have to say everything with one image, you know? <laughs> like we want to c- kind of consolidate things. And so if we were drawing the same scene I was describing, well, we would put the mother in the car on the road going to the mountain, whatever, uh, because that's the way the linear type of thinking of our own narratives. But that can kind of, in abstraction at least, that can really overstate things. Um, and I'm not saying that in an abstraction it would be a literal mother in a literal car, etc. But the idea that if we're trying to say something, we have to have this sort of logical cohesion to whatever symbols we're putting in. Uh, but we don't, actually. Children don't, and it's perfectly satisfying to them. <laughs> well, you know, the uh, the crass businessman in me... Yes, speak. <laughs> um, ...loves stories. And stories is how people communicate, uh, especially on an emotional level. Stories is how... Stories are how we make decisions uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and stories have an incredible impact on the way that we communicate with other people persuasively. So if I want to sell you something, I'm going to tell you a story. Mm -hmm. And 
so I'm kind of wondering what what kind of stories can you tell with with abstract art? The kind of stories you tell with abstract art, wow, they they don't necessarily have a logical linear um, narrative behind them. They can, and sometimes people work autobiographically, and they want to say something about a memory, um, you know, a memory of being in a place or on a hiking trail. Some of my work is a bit like that. Um, they tell a lot of stories that that hit the viewer in a more intuitive way, I would say, through color, through shape, um, say, uh, through composition. A composition may be very calm or it may be very uh, full of movement. And so we experience them not necessarily as words or narrative in the same way that you might think of it, but it's more uh, an impact or presence that the painting has. And oftentimes with abstraction, I mean, almost always, I feel like what the artist is doing is is setting a sort of a stage for the artist that makes sense, that has meaning, but they know that the person looking at it probably will see it differently. <laughs> That's kind of the nature of abstraction. Right. You're abstracting from an, an inner narrative as well as an yeah. inner landscape or an inner um yes. or inner monologue. Yes. I I think that's true. And it and it like children's art, it can also shift and change as you're creating it. Um and then when the viewer sees it, the their own narrative about it is going to be different. And that's that's a huge difference with um, you know, a spoken narrative or a written narrative, uh, which is largely dictated by whoever's writing or saying it. Um, right. Although people are perfectly willing to argue about the meaning behind written <laughs> narratives as well. Well, that's true. But it's a lot, there's a lot more effort at control. There's a lot more control that uh, writing or speaking has, as well as a more realistic art. I mean, realistic art, there's definitely can be interpreted in different ways. And that's that's an appealing part of it. If you see, say, a figure in a certain setting, your own associations um, will be different than the artist's. It's, it's inevitable. With abstraction, that gets pushed even further. Um, and so as an abstract artist, you have to have to be kind of willing to just put it out there and do do your best to create meaning within it for yourself and trust that people will somehow pick up on the fact that there's intention behind this work. There is meaning, there's structure, and how they receive that is going to be uh, individualized to the to the person. Um, yeah, in crafting a narrative or a story, oftentimes what is unsaid is more powerful than what is said. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole lot that's unsaid in abstraction. There sure uh, is. So I think that yeah. there is an advantage just in creating compelling artwork and compelling narratives, even if it's not completely obvious to the viewer what you're going for. Yeah. And I mean, getting back to to children's art, we sense that. We sense they have definite intentions with what they're doing. <laughs> and it may be really obscure to us. We may not be in on that at all until we ask. Um, and even if we ask, we may get three different answers, you know. <laughs> um, but but they have a purpose. There's there's something going on there, and that's what we also sense in good abstract art. And as an as an adult abstract artist, we have other tools at our disposal that help make the work seem uh, 
help make the work more purposeful and intentional because we do know about composition and color relationships and all those things. So we can we can craft it in a way that um, an adult viewer will recognize there's there's intention behind it. Kids don't they're not even concerned with that. I mean that's that's not important to them. Um, but I and I wanted to mention a, a couple things about <laughs> how this symbolism actually works for kids because I I read a couple of articles about this and I know I've seen this in children's art. The idea that they're connecting ideas and images, they're inventing symbols that connect something they're thinking about uh, with an image. And one of the ways they do this is in terms of the space that's just on the paper that they're working on. Um, treating that in kind of symbolic ways. And and one of the things we see, especially in kids' art, a little bit later, when they're kind of a little more aware of their relationship to the world, the rest of the world, is they often put down this ground line, whether that's grass or something, a road. But there's often a horizontal line across the bottom of the paper that kind of it comes in later, which is interesting. It's like, um, okay, here I am in space. This is the bottom of the space. The top of the paper is the sky or whatever it is. Um, and in between, they may do all sorts of things, but <laughs> it's just kind of an interesting thing. Right. It's the very beginning stages of of using perspective. It is. And, and there's another thing kids do, which I love. It's like they combine views of something. And one of the things that I've seen is kids will draw, say, a road. Like maybe they're going to draw a road across the middle of the paper or something or at the bottom. And then on either side of it, they're showing, say, a house, but it's like the front view of the house, whereas the road may be the top view. And they do this in different ways that um, oftentimes in some attempt at perspective, maybe, the uh, something that is normally seen from the side might be sh be shown from two sides or from the top or something. I mean, it's just they have no problem with mixing up different views. Um, another thing that comes up in children's art is this kind of X-ray vision. Um, so, for example, if a if a child has a mother that's pregnant, they may show the mother figure with like this little baby on its stomach <laughs> because. It's like, yeah, they know it's in there, so they're going to put it right on the outside of the mother. Um, there are also symbols kids use that uh, are kind of universal, which is really interesting. And, and the one that often gets mentioned is what what's called a mandala or a, a circle shape that's divided up in some way. Um, usually, it's just sort of a divided into quadrants. And this must be entirely intuitive because it's made by uh, very young kids all over the world. And I, I mean, I saw a, a picture of, you know, all these different mandala shapes and they'd be labeled like this one's from the U.S. and this is from India and this is from, um, you know, China or France or whatever. And the kids all over the world are doing this. I think that's fascinating. Um and then there's the other symbols that kids start to use once they become a little bit more aware of what other kids are doing or what's considered uh, more realistic. And that would be like your lollipop trees and your um, birds that are represented by a V in the sky. <laughs> yeah, I think that those are often things that well-meaning adults are instructing kids to do. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly remember in school being told that 
birds could be represented with a V shape, for example. I know. And it's a little bit sad, you know, as an artist looking at kid art, it's a little bit sad when you start to see that stuff come into your child's art when they do go out or go to school or draw with other kids. And he's, oh, okay. <laughs> there went a more imaginative idea of what a bird in the sky might look like. <laughs> But, you know, it's still, they're learning about symbols. And sometimes the symbols are very conventional and, you know, a little shutting off of the imagination. But it's still giving the kid the idea that, yes, you can use something that other people recognize um, as a symbol. And that's kind of an interesting stage, I guess. So, um, Well, and in, in the idea that art is communication from, from day one yes. for kids especially, yep. uh, if they're trying to depict something in order to convey a message to adults because they don't necessarily have the language to uh, express it, uh, the use of symbols is very useful to the kid. Right. Yeah, they, they, that sort of opens up a door. And, and probably part of the reason that kids start to try to become more um, realistic. Yeah, or th- presenting ideas that other people say, oh, you drew a tree, you know, and oh, okay, I communicated that. They do get positive reinforcement. For yeah, that. It, and it's, but it's a stage of development, I suppose. And, you know, I want to say about all of this, I am absolutely no expert on this. This is a huge field of study. Uh, but I've always found it really interesting, um, not only with my own kids, but just kid art in general, that um, the way that, you know, kids express all this stuff is, it's pretty interesting. Um, and, and there's a lot of, um, a lot, like I said, a lot of research that connects child development with their artwork and um, how and when they start trying to become more concrete to show what they see or how that process works. Um, and there's, there does seem to be a stage when kids are thinking of depicting more realistically, uh, but at the same time creating symbols that work for them. And so this is, I don't know, it's just interesting how this unfolds as children get older. Um, one of the things that, that's really lovely, though, is to see the joy that kids have in drawing and painting and stuff before they're ever burdened by expectations. And it's just, it's so pure, you know? And I think that's, as adult artists, as abstract artists, we uh, admire that, maybe envy that a little bit, um, because in a lot of ways, that pure channel that those kids have is what we're we're looking for, at least, at least in the more spontaneous um, aspects of our own work, um, we can also learn this symbolic power that kids have, um, that simplicity. And that I love that freedom from convention, you know, from, from oh, this has to go here and this has to go there. Um, and this kind of sense of hierarchy, like what's important? If a kid draws a figure with an enormous head, that's a hierarchy. That's saying that's what's important to me, someone's face, you know. Um, this fluidity that kids have with their interpretations and their labels or whatever. And this kind of intuitive rightness that children are free to follow, that um, that we we struggle sometimes to find what intuitively feels right, what's the next right move, um, that at least very young children, they just kind of know, and they just kind of do it. 
Um, and they're very absorbed. They're very absorbed in their process, and they're not thinking about the results, <laughs> you know, the, the end products, shall we say. <laughs> uh, they're not thinking about being judged or um, or admired, really. I mean, you know, kids can find it kind of funny when their parents make a fuss over their drawings. <laughs> like, oh, they're ready to move on to the next thing. And the parents like, hmm, maybe I'll frame that one, you know. <laughs> well, a lot of older artists find it kind of funny when people make a fuss over their art, too. So, <laughs> Well, that's true. <laughs> ready to move on. <laughs> All right. Well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Yes, I would just say that really understanding what kids are doing in their artwork is a, is an area of research. It's a huge area, and uh, we're just kind of touching on a few things that um, can be interesting for abstract artists to consider and look for if they have access to child art, especially in their own lives. If they have a child that they can uh, relate to and ask about their work, or have they done that in the past? Um, and it's especially interesting, though, and important to remember that we all made this kind of art a long time ago for many of us. Um, but can we recapture some aspect of that now that could be liberating in our own work? Uh, that's really what motivated me to want to talk about this was what can we what can we kind of uh, take from these kid artists? Can we reconnect with that in some way? All right, well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at www.coldwaxacademy.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.